0: Are the Detroit Lions legit contenders and the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins meet in a battle of AFC East juggernauts on NFL Kickoff Live? Welcome to NFL Kickoff Live. I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. Alongside me, of course, my guys Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs. And we are going to go straight to Thursday night football where the Lions let everyone in title town know they've arrived or have they.
1: Folks, the Detroit Lions are 3-1 and, and all alone in first place for the first time since week 2 of 2017 in the NFC North. Just amazing. They go into Green Bay on Thursday night and they pound the Packers 34-20. to 20. Really, for the Lions, it it was simple. In the first half, after a Jared Goff interception and trailing 3-0, the Lions put out 27 straight points against Green Bay, pounded them with their offensive line, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery on the ground. Montgomery over 100 yards rushing, over 30 carries on the night. Goff was very, very solid, and the defense really, really good as well. Another five-sack performance from this defense. They take care of business and knock off the Packers for the fourth consecutive time and for the second straight time at Lambeau Field under the lights. Don't forget to subscribe to our Locked On Lions show, our Locked On Lions YouTube channel.
2: Watch for free on YouTube. Lions are 3-1. and The Lions-Packers matchup has turned into the Lions-Packers matchup of old just with the roles reversed. Four straight wins now for the Detroit Lions against the Green Bay Packers. A 34-20 drubbing the latest in the line from Thursday Night Football. I'm Peter Bukowski, host of Locked on Packers, and this game was lost at the line of scrimmage for Green Bay. They couldn't block Detroit's front, not even the backup interior defensive linemen. They could do nothing. They got absolutely punked at the line of scrimmage in pass protection where they have been one of the best pass-protecting teams in the NFL through the first month, at least until Thursday night. The problems didn't end there. On the other end of the line of scrimmage, the Packers' defensive front, they get absolutely bullied. 43 carries, 211 rushing yards for the Detroit Lions to add insult to injury. Jared Goff gets off with a big scramble. Khalif Raymond hits a 40-yard run. This was an absolute butt-kicking, and right now, the Lions are in control of this division and of this rivalry.
0: So tell us how you really feel, but you know what, Jarvis? This is not a shock to us because we saw up front, up close and personal exactly who the heck the Lions are when they did the exact thing to the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle, it really, in watching it last night, I felt like it was just, same thing. It was on repeat. Like there, one thing I can say about the Lions is they're consistent and they're getting better and better on both sides of the ball. And they showed that dominance even when the Packers tried to mount a comeback last night. The Lions knew that it was coming and they were ready for it. And they definitely just kept, as one of our friends says, "Foots on next." Last night, but yeah, Lions three and one, running the NFC North houseway.
3: Yeah, I think uh, the formula Peter kind of laid it out, and and you guys saw it firsthand with Atlanta, but. Just reading the numbers off the sheet for the first four games of the season, 118, 102, 115, and 211 rushing yards offensively for Detroit. Their defense, 90, 82, 44, and 27 last night against Green Bay. Oh, we got Aaron Jones back. Good news. Well, not exactly. Uh, Anytime you can force a team to be that kind of one-dimensional, the way that Detroit is right now with Dan Campbell and the way he's got them playing in the trenches And then conversely, you can control the pace of play with what you're doing offensively and your ability to run the ball. It's going to set you up really well. And you you hear the cliches of NFC North cold weather football, but like that stuff's real. And say what you want about Detroit. They'll have a chance to answer those questions late in the year. But that's where my mind goes next is Minnesota plays inside. Green Bay, you got that cold weather game out of the way early, right? But when you get late in the year, it's translatable football even though Jared Goff really benefits from being a quarterback who plays indoors at home
4: and you know, another thing about this game that I thought it was very interesting Kyle is like we saw the duality of Jared Goff as a quarterback right in the NFL His first drive whoop, pick uh, <laughs> and then Green Bay gets down of course they stall out a little bit and they get the, end up getting the field goal but and then the next thing you come down drive come down what 75 yards to go for a touchdown so it's just so amazing to be able to see the, those different sides of Jared Goff within within that game. And then we just saw the, the really good side, you know, for, 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 the, for the rest of the game. So I think that the Detroit Lions are here. Um, I, I think I'm ready to say that right now, because when you think about having an established identity, um, they want to run the football. They want to be physical. They want to out physical guys. It, it, when I'm seeing John T, you know we're very familiar with him playing for the Atlanta Falcons. Was, was that our, was that the same
0: John Comiskey, JD?
4: No, no, that's a different John Comiskey. That's a different John Comiskey. He's a little bit thicker. He's a little, he has he's able to uh, actually put some put 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 some weight on. You can see him working that bull rush last night. And he's always been a guy that continues to just keep coming. He's gonna keep rushing he's going to keep trying to get off blocks and you saw him start to implement those things and and when you have a guy a coach like uh, a Dan Campbell and your defense coordinator is a guy like Aaron Glenn who wants to be aggressive who wants to be physical And you just continue to hear that and hear that. And it seemed like it's finally starting to come through for him. So when you see all these pieces start to come into play and you're saying that, all right, you know, Green Bay, you know, all the hype about Jordan Love. And, hey, they're about to have 10 more years of good quarterbacking and all that stuff. They made him look like a young quarterback who hasn't started that many games in the NFL, even though he's been in the league for three years. So I, I think that when you like you said, you're forcing the teams to do what they don't want to do. You don't want Jordan Love to sit back there and, and just slay the ball all over the yard, even though he might be capable of that. But you then you get to the point where you're putting the ball in harm's way, and I think that Detroit Lions have consistently done that throughout this year. And, you know, barring a, a, a mishap in, 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 um, against Seattle, but I think that those are some of the things that you got to look for when you're talking about, hey, this is the team that's on the rise, and this is the team that everybody should be aware of going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think like you guys are saying as well, they're playing, and, and there's two ways I want to talk about this or just mention it real quick. And one way when I say that they're playing as a unit is last night, Jordan Love's driving the Packers down the field, right? And you're thinking, okay, they're about to do what they did to the Saints last weekend, potentially. And then Jerry, Jacob comes out of, Jerry Jacobs comes out of nowhere to give that support. To the rest of the secondary, he's he's watching this play and he sprints over from one side of the football field to another. And not only does he end any hopes of a comeback for the Packers, but it's going back to what you guys said as far as complementary football. Well, here we go. Now we got you the ball back offense. Now make sure that we end it right here. And in comes David Montgomery and not that he hadn't already had a game because he had a game, but literally it was the way that they shut the door on the Packers that was so impressive, because your defense gets it back to your offense, and then your offense says, yeah, we're not even letting you get back on the field, we're, we're done here tonight, so I think that you're seeing a holistic team that Dan Campbell and company are putting together, and they're going to be formidable uh, across the rest of the season, I think.
3: Yeah, and Tanitra, just to back that up, real one thing that's really eye-opening about Detroit and complimentary, you talked about one unit to another, but yes. offensively, you came into this year and they invested the pick in, in Jameer Gibbs, and everybody's chomping at yes. the bit to see more Jameer mm-hmm. Gibbs. And I get it, but they have five skill players that are averaging over 50 yards from scrimmage per game yeah. thus far this season. That includes Gibbs, that includes rookie tight end Sam Laporta, includes David Montgomery, Amon Ross, a Brown. So, like, that was one of the questions: was Hey, we had this first round pick wide receiver Jamison Williams who suspended for the first month and a half of the season. Where they like, how balanced can they be offensively? They have five guys averaging over 50 yards from scrimmage right now. Like, they're getting really diverse contributions, and Laporta's popping with catch and run opportunities. It's just really impressive to see how they're able to spread the ball around. They're not one of those teams that you come in and game plan against to say, oh, okay, we got to take care of him. We're going to be okay. Like, they, they've got a bunch of guys right now that are stepping up, too.
4: Yeah. And I think that, you know, with being Johnson, the way things are going right now, Kyle, like, he's not going to be. <laughs> in Detroit next year like there is going to be some serious conversations about we know every year a head coaching spot might be might come about and I'm sure probably it's going to be in Chicago more than likely if we're talking about bottom teams I know we're going to talk about about that a little bit later on but I feel like Ben Johnson is really coaching himself into a situation where like he can't he's not going to be able to turn down a head coaching job this this summer.
0: Now you make a good point about Ben Johnson but Casey let's talk a little bit about what's going on and where does Matt LaFleur go from here? Because there were some questions that came up. And one of the things that you guys mentioned is Jordan Love. And yeah, he is three years into the league, but he's not exactly three years experientially. And it looked like in every phase of the game, the Lions were ready. They were prepared for anything and everything that the Packers had to, to throw at them. And so my question is in terms of what Matt LaFleur has to work with on all sides of the ball, kind of where does he go from here as far as getting his team ready? Because yes, they did come back on the Saints, but let's just be real. They came back on a Saints team that was without Derek Carr for the second half. And Jameis Winston was okay substituting for him, but ultimately speaking, that wasn't exactly a hundred percent Saints team. So yeah, I just wanted to know out of curiosity we are talking a lot about how good this was a showing for the Lions and how consistently it was a showing for the Lions, but what are your concerns and what you saw with the Packers?
3: Well, I, I think long-term you're a little worried about what happens now along the offensive line with Bakhtiari going on IR. Yeah, with him. yeah. It's been scoped, and, and that's been a uh, – feels like a three-year it's saga yeah. at this point. Yeah. And I know they've been without Oden Jenkins, uh, at least for stretches of the opening stretch of the season as well. Uh, they've been dealing with some really – Adverse conditions for player availability. Christian Watson's supposed to be their big play receiver. He was out there, but he really didn't look great, if we're being honest. I mean, I mean, Aaron Jones has struggled with availability right now. H. A. J. Dillon looks pretty lethargic as a runner. So, like, you need a spark. And you've got all the, the – the concern was when you came into the year, you got a first-year incumbent starting quarterback in Jordan Love who had, like, one previous start with a bunch of first- and second-year pass catchers in the passing game. You thought that, that they were going to really lean on this running game. They're not getting it going. They haven't had a game with 100 yards rushing yet as a team. So if I'm Matt LaFleur, how I'm looking to buckle down is I'm looking at what I have. I just lost Bakhtiari is one of the best pass-protecting tackles in the game. Let's get physical. Let's use these young tight ends. Let's try to run the ball a little bit. Those are your best and most proven skill players. Let them get the ball and try to find a rhythm. And the good news, I'm just going to throw it out here, they play the Raiders and the Broncos the next two games on the schedule. If that's not a get right opportunity for you, I don't know what is.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say too. Like, well, you got two opportunities to reset in the next couple of weeks. So you should really, really make good on. it. what about you, JD? What are some of the things that you saw that maybe Matt LaFleur has to go back to the drawing board and kind of figure out over the next couple of weeks?
4: I mean, I think there's just find some find figure out what you want to do on this defensive side of football. Like we talked about all the weapons and everything that you have on uh, the young guys that you have on the offensive side of football. You got a lot of good guys like Carl Brooks. You got guys like Devontae Wyatt. You know, all of those guys that are guys that can get home, they can get to the quarterback. So I think you need to be able to figure out how you can get put those guys in situation so they can flourish. Right. Not be down, you know, Um not be down in game so 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 much because I think that when you get to the point where you, you're you're trying to figure out your way on offense, that puts the defense in a, in a really really bad situation. So I think slowing the game down, like Kyle mentioned, and running the football and getting to a point where he said, "Hey, let's let's bare bones this thing." I understand that I understand what I have in Jordan Love, but let's just kind of let's, let's 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 slow this thing down a little bit. He can't throw the ball 35, 40 times a game and, and get you a win. I understand that when you were in situations in the past couple weeks, you've been you've had to throw the football because you've been down. But I think that they're they're in a situation where for the, the, the longevity of the team mm-hmm. to not get themselves in a situation where they're they're losing games or get on a losing streak. I know you got some some quote unquote cupcakes game coming up, mm-hmm. but you can lose those games if you start to lose yourself and start to Try to be something that you're not, and that is, you don't have a veteran quarterback. You don't have an Aaron Rodgers back there that that you can count on to slam the ball all around the yard and, and get get you some wins. You have a young quarterback. You got two capable running backs. Like I say, I know they AJ Dillon hasn't been who. Who we thought he was, or who he's been, um, he hasn't been that consistent at running the football since he's been in the NFL. But you've seen flashes; it's something there. And then, of course, Aaron Jones is your guy. You got to get those guys to football and and figure out a way to kind of slow the thing down so you can stay in games, so you can get your defense to a point where, hey, if we if the defense got to be out there and make plays and, and and sack the quarterback and turn get some turnovers, and so we can work with some short fields. That's what we have to do.
0: Yeah. Well, the Lions are going to have an opportunity to show more dominance over the NFC South because, of course, they'll be taking on the Panthers and then they'll be at Bucks as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to show the dominance that we've seen in them the first couple of weeks as well. Now, we're going to take Kyle back to his happy place in a second when we talk Dolphins, Bills. But first, Jarvis will tell you the best way to avoid being hangry after hanging out with us for the next two hours.
4: (laughs) You will never be angry listening to cow crabs, to Nature Batiste, and myself. Jarvis Davis I said my name in third person yes I'm speaking in third person right now but let me tell you about a DoorDash DoorDash is the place you need to go because hey guess what if you're missing some syrup for your pancakes you need some ham and, a, and for your burger you know what I mean like yeah all that stuff if you need all that all you got to do is hit up DoorDash because they got everything you absolutely need so they can get grocery delivery that actually delivers with thousands of grocery stores to choose from you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local company with each and every order so you know I know you are sitting right like okay Jarvis like what do I need to do what's the deal what's the hook I got the hook right here for you so get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use code locked on NFL at checkout yes that's 50% off up to $20 no minimum subtotal pay attention right there that's key no minimum subtotal and zero delivery fees on your first order when you use the code locked on NFL. So don't forget that's code locked on NFL for fifty percent off your first order with a DoorDash.
0: Well, you know, I don't know. They could be hangry because sometimes if your hunger reaches your anger, especially if you're a Packers fan watching the first part of this show, you might be hangry. So you can check out DoorDash after you check out this show to alleviate all that. But I tell you, who is not hangry because they are. Happy and full after last week, that is your Arizona Cardinals fan base because they absolutely made the Cowboys look like cowgirls if we're just being honest about it. So when you look at them, what do you see? We'll talk about that a little bit later, but like I said, we're going to go to Kyle's happy place because we know he's always happy to talk about the Dolphins and they have a huge matchup this coming weekend against the Bills.
3: Yeah, uh, you have the Dolphins in a position to kind of legitimize themselves. Obviously, they, they played a couple teams in the Los Angeles Chargers who were a playoff team last year, the uh, New England Patriots with Bill Belichick on Sunday Night Football. And then they do what they did last Sunday to the Denver Broncos to, to really kind of catapult their offensive production for the first three weeks of a season into like historical stratosphere. But they're playing the Bills, and the Bills are top – Three in just about every major statistical category defensively. So I think that's really where the focus is. Is Miami is glitz, glamour, touchdowns. There's all this focus on Miami's offense versus Buffalo's defense, and uh, I I think it's a fascinating matchup for Miami because when you watch how Miami has played teams thus far this season. They haven't had a team that plays kind of a simplistic style of football the way that Buffalo does. They don't get super exotic, but they're very good at what they do. They have a mastery of that system. I know Sean McDermott is calling the plays for the first time. That was Leslie Frazier's gig, but McDermott's been the head coach there since 2017. So there's... Uh, this level of mastery of trust of leverage and passing off players in zone. They don't play country zone where it's like, okay, I'm just going to drop the grass and cover this third of the field. Like they're very sticky in zone coverages, but Buffalo conversely has played teams that have been very static in the first three weeks of the season. Not a lot of pre-snap movement. Miami is head and shoulders, the most dynamic pre-snap offense in the league right now for all of the shifts and motions and their ability to test that element of Buffalo's defense. I think that's where the attention really gets to be fun for the chess match that you're expecting for this game. Miami's getting Jalen Waddle back. Uh, I would expect both offensive linemen that are probably questionable when the final injury report comes out and Teron Armstead, and I know he just said in the locker room like three minutes ago that he'll be out there. Uh, He didn't practice on Wednesday. I would expect Connor Williams plays as well. Uh, The Bills announced that safety Jordan Poyer will not play in this game. The Dolphins announced that defensive end Jalen Phillips will not play in this game. So both teams missing a key starter defensively. But I would expect you're you're largely going to get strength on strength. And the question really is, does Miami's pre-snap administration test the Bills in ways that forces communication breakdowns and allows for some of these explosive plays to still show up on Sunday?
0: And what you saw in the Dolphins last weekend with the total annihilation of the Denver Broncos, really, it looked like one of the most, if not the most complete team in the league, at least through these first couple of weeks. So Jarvis, would you say that you, when you look at the Dolphins, you feel like they are that much of a complete team? And if they're not the best, they're certainly one of the top three so far in the league this season?
4: Yeah, I would have to put the Miami Dolphins up there because when you think about the way that what they do on offense, like Kyle said, talking about, you know, one of the top teams as far as pre-snap pre um, motion, like think to the tune of like 77% in, in NFL. So like when you think about what that means or what that does to a defense, like a lot of times when you get those guys moving, you like a lot of times the quarterback from a pre-snap standpoint is looking at, the defender, looking at that linebacker, is he moving with the guy or is somebody taking off and, and running across the formation with the guy who's going, who's going into motion? So all those things are, are like basically pre-snap reads that they can tell you, like, okay, that could determine uh, – coverage. So if that, that man is going across the formation, following him along, so more than likely, that's man coverage. If he's just taking a, a step over, the linebackers are shifting over one step, you know, a lot of times it's, it's zoned. So it's a lot of different things that you can say um, that you can get or indicators that you can get before that ball is snapped and say, okay, it gives the quarterback like Tua to Tagovailoa who has been absolutely amazing. This dude is so accurate with the football. It's just, it's just really cool to watch because Two is a guy that it's hard not to like him You know, like, obviously You know, Miami Dolphins fans were Very upset, Kyle, I'm sure you know Like, when they saw how Justin Herbert Was playing, you know, in, in, that, in his Rookie season, and, and they were like, oh man Did we get the wrong guy, but I think that Once it looks like Knock on wood that Tua's, it's, it's kind of gotten past this whole injury situation with the changing up of his workouts and the off season and all that stuff. It just seems like it's going. This dude is like really primed and ready to be one of those quarterbacks or one of those guys he was drafted to be, right? Because that's that was the expectation. Like if you draft get drafted that high, a lot of times teams are coming in and looking at you and saying, "Hey, can you be the face of the franchise?" And then if you talking about that elite level, can you be one of the faces of the league? Because we know quarterbacks get. Jump, they get pushed into that situation once they start coming in balling like, like, like he is right now, and I think that this is Miami is, is a team that they have so many mismatches. We're talking about Raheem Mostert, A Chain having his uh his breakout game, and then you got Jalen Waddle who was out last week. Now he's coming back, and uh, it is just so. It, it is fun watching this team on offense, and I think that that's why they kind of gobbled up all the conversation when you talk, start talking about the Miami Dolphins, so I think that this is a team that people need to watch out for because it looks like Tua is going to be a guy that can re- remain healthy um, as the season goes along.
0: Now, the Dolphins, of course, are one of only three teams that are still undefeated. So you look at them and you kind of compare them to how they're playing KC versus, say, how the Philadelphia Eagles are playing, how the San Francisco 49ers are playing. How does your home team stack up?
3: So I think Philadelphia is the one who I think has the most room to grow yes. versus what their yeah. first three weeks of, of performances have looked like. Yeah, I agree. I think San Francisco's probably playing – more complete football just because of how good the defense is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miami really struggled against the chargers in week one and they, they have gotten consistently better in the run defense, which was such a big talking point out of that first game where the chargers ran for 233 yards. You you have seen 88 and then, 69 in the last two weeks. And obviously, when you give up 70 points, you're not in a position to really run the ball offensively all that much. So you understand that there's some complementary football elements that are at play there as well. But even just the execution up front, I, I think, and Mike McDaniel has talked about this this week at, during his press availabilities, that you see the players starting to understand when it is their opportunity to try to make a play within the structure of the defense instead of everybody trying to make a play on every play and then surrendering your leverage and giving up gaps. And that's how you end up getting gouged for big gains. So uh, that transition to Vic Fangio has not been without its struggles, but they gave up a punt return for a touchdown last Sunday. So the, defensively, they gave up 13 points to Denver. So it's even better than what the, the final number on the scoreboard looks like. And I, I think that's where when you hang them against San Francisco and Philadelphia, I think they've certainly been more robust offensively than what Philadelphia has been early on. It's just, I think San Francisco humming a little bit more consistently across the full three games. I'd probably give the nod to San Francisco.
0: Yeah. And Jarvis, you have not to disclude or not, not include the teams that are not undefeated, right? Because you have a tier of teams that are still potentially just as good and should be in that conversation of best teams, whether you look at who the Dolphins are headed to take on the the Buffalo Bills at two and one, or you look at, and of course, I'm just, a Homer here. I know the Steelers are two and one, but they're not in that conversation. <laughs> it probably would be more Ravens and Browns, to be honest with you at two and ones, but then two and one. But then you have a team like the Colts. Interestingly enough, they're two and one. You've got the Chiefs. That to me is probably because, you know, now the Cowboys are two and one. I think the Chiefs are probably your best two and one team that belongs in the conversation with those three and O's.
4: Absolutely, because I mean, a lot of times we in that first game of the season, obviously they lose to the Detroit Lions. You think about, you know, the Chiefs and how they looked in that game. And it was pretty, uh, very clear and obvious that they were missing their best player on both sides of the, well, second best player on offense, <laughs> uh, the best player on defense, on the defense side of football, and, and on Chris Jones and Charis Kelsey. So I think that when you think about that aspect of it and getting and having my homeboy, like, that is, <laughs> he's the best player in the league. Like, that is, so, so when you think about. Them still being in that game, and then trying. And once you get Travis Kelsey back, you got Chris Jones. They work out something, the situation with the money and all that stuff. And you see that how he by both of those guys, they change the way that offense and defense look. So I think that they have to still be mentioned in that conversation as far as you talking about the best team in the league. You know, ha- the Kansas City Chiefs names have to be in there. And let me give you one more that you mentioned: the Cleveland Browns. I feel like when you have an elite defense. I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and say that my elite defense. Yep. When you have all you got to do is, is just have your quarterback come up, come, at least come up, come close to the, what the way they're playing right now. And and that's the, that shouldn't be asking a lot for a two hundred plus million dollar quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Like he's starting to come along, he's starting to see mm-hmm. some some things, you know, he's working to get to where he needs to be. But yeah. like if Deshaun Watson can give you at least a portion of the, the player that he was before this, all the scandal stuff start coming down. I really feel like the Browns could elevate um to to a level where they're being in those conversations about okay, one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. Would you
3: yeah.
0: say I'll cosign?
3: Yeah, I, I agree with Kansas City too, especially when you consider defensively what they've been able to do to start the year. You sure. know, holding Detroit to twenty one points is not a small deal yeah. as now Green we runner. know, yeah. Now yeah, now exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're in the top 10 in just about every major statistical category. In points per possession defensively, it's 1.03 points. That's third in the league. So you think about all of the offensive firepower that Kansas City is capable of with Mahomes at quarterback, and you understanding the wide receiver room is going to have ups and downs with young players like Tony and Skymore, but Kelsey being back and getting further separated away from that knee sprain where you could tell he really wasn't right in the week two game against Jacksonville. They're going to continue to ascend, and, and they've got a great test this week against the Jets' defense, and then they have a Brian Flores-led Minnesota defense that blitzes 63% of the time through the first three weeks. So really interesting. With a bad secondary. With a bad secondary. <laughs> You're right. You're like, oh. but, but the question is, <laughs> is, is Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony, or can they win those one-on-one matchups against a bad secondary? Uh, so I'm really intrigued with those two matchups against a super high-pressure team uh, in Minnesota and then a team like the Jets that they they don't play super exotic stuff, but they're very physical. They're very fast defensively. So I think we'll continue to learn more about what this year's edition of the offense is going to look like for KC. but I'd absolutely put them in that conversation uh, just based off of how the way that they've been playing complimentary football.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point that you make because you talk about the fact that, hey, they scored 41 points. I don't care if it was on the bears. 41 is 41 is 41. But I think the number that probably is the number that's hidden or should I say the numbers that are hidden doesn't matter whether it's the Jaguars or the Bears, when you're holding, and to your point, the Lions, now that we've seen how high power that offense is, when you're holding an NFL team like the Lions who can score at will to 20 points, and then you're holding the Jaguars to 9, and then you're holding the Bears to 10, that's still something to be said about that Kansas City Chiefs defense that maybe doesn't get as much attention or as much shine or spotlight as uh, their offense does. So yeah, absolutely a great point that you make there. But listen, when we come back, we'll talk about whether or not One particular team got exposed as a pretender or do Jarvis and Kyle think that these guys are still contenders? We'll talk about it. But first, Jarvis is about to put you up on game.
4: Jarvis Davis here for game time. How about this, guys? I need you go to the best place for last minute tickets deals. If you did not hear what I just said, I need you to go to the best place for last minute ticket deals. What's the place, Jarvis? Game time, fools. Let's go. Come on. Forget planning them for months in advance. Like, for planners? What? Planners for suckers. Let's go. We're going to get this last-minute deal with tickets right up to the day of the event. You can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. It is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason, y'all, because... We're, we don't want to plan. We plan for everything. We plan for our kids. We plan for school. We plan for our husbands, our wives, all that stuff. Everything. Side pieces and all. We do, We plan for all that stuff. We're tired of planning. Come on, y'all. We don't want to do that. So here's what I want you to do. Snack the tickets without stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Yes. $20 off your first purchase. All you got to do is drop the code LOCKDOWNNFL. So, Make sure that you download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, a guaranteed.
0: Well, I guess since you missed mentioned side pieces, it is cuffing season. So yeah, you get your Game <laughs> yeah. Time on, good people. It's the time of year. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> another do time of the year. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. And you know what else? A lot of people love is the fact that the Arizona Cardinals, I don't even know if one up" is a good enough word to what they did to the Dallas Cowboys last weekend. I think they kind of turned them into cowgirls, to be honest with you, with how they looked on that field. But it actually brings up, in all seriousness and all fairness, a conversation that is legit, which is, was that Arizona game kind of a blip on the radar as every team kind of has one of those games, at least one of those games every season, or does this show you maybe that there are some chinks in the armor and maybe more so than
3: we previously thought about the Cowboys? For me, I'm, they're in the process of this offensive philosophical change and you, you get with, with how much they're featuring Tony Pollard, which, Hey, good for you. It's one of the the franchise tag running back situations that's working out where Pollard's maximizing his value thus far. and And the Cowboys are getting a lot of run out of him. You know, he's, 312 yards from scrimmage. It's leading the team. Uh, they, they are pounding the rock a ton. He's getting over 20 carries per game, but I do look at what they are looking like offensively. And I just feel like they're a little one dimensional Like they need somebody else to step up. Yeah. And that's the concern. And, and obviously you lose Trayvon Diggs at the end of last week, and it's a big time gut punch. And I think it showed with how they came out and they played throughout stretches of that game. But I also wonder Uh, was, was this a trap game for Dallas for, for their preparation? It felt like they tried to flip the switch. Once you got into halftime and realized, Oh, this team's got a little punch to it. And then they couldn't get back into it. Uh, but, but Dallas, they've only got one other player besides Pollard, who has more than 113 yards from scrimmage through three games. Brandon cooks was brought in here and I understand Brandon cooks missed a game, but they need that extra element to be, I think, more complementary offensively for them to live up to their potential. And they played this game without a couple of starting offensive linemen. I get that too. But Arizona, from a talent perspective, even without those guys that you played that game with in week three, shouldn't have been on your level. And I, I think that's it's an unfortunate lesson to learn, but if you're going to learn it, learn it early in the year, apply it moving forward. And hopefully they, they, they get themselves right in a little bit, I think, more dynamic offensively just because I think they need to benefit from that versus just being this turnaround, give the ball to Tony Pollard 21 times a game and hope C.D. Lamb makes all the plays for you when you need him to in big moments.
0: And Kyle, that's a great point because it was something that you talked about earlier. And Jarvis, you know, chime in here when we talked about those 3-0 and teams. And we talked about the fact that of those teams, the Eagles are probably the one that's trending up and has the most potential to grow. So to your point, Kyle, if they're going to stay, if the Cowboys are going to stay in the conversation of trying to get out of the NFC East as a division winner or at least a high wild card, they're definitely going to have to evolve that offense but really get it together on defense as well, other than, of course, Michael Parsons. But ultimately speaking, yeah, Jarvis, if they're going to compete in a very competitive NFC and, again, try to get out of their own division, they're going to have to step up their game.
4: And and they can get healthy as well, because when you have three offensive linemen being out of your starting lineup, that is is a pretty big deal. One, okay, yeah, you're supposed to be able to supplement that, but when you got three like that is that is a pretty big deal. You're talking about 60 percent of your starting offensive line. So yeah, they that still got is, 415 yards offense in week three. <laughs> I, I mean, I I understand that. I get it, but it means a lot though. Like we had yeah, Chuma Doga, a guy who kind of bounced around on the Falcons practice squad for for a little while, starting out there at tackle. So those are you can't you can't ignore that. But I, I'm not giving the, the Cowboys a pass. Don't don't don't, don't get it twisted. I feel like there is. There is something to the fact that when you talk about, you know, only having one pass catcher, you know, that, that can make plays for you or you put the ball in the hands of a pass catcher and they can start working for you. Tony Prada, Featuring Tony Potter like that, you know, is he Ezekiel Elliott? Like, because that's what it kind of, this offense kind of looks like, you know, because you're getting turned around, handing the ball off to him. You know, you're trying to run that power uh, running game and get that going and all that stuff. But it it just seems like... This is the Cowboys that we're used to kind of seeing. It seems yeah. like Dak Prescott. I I think he's a good quarterback. I I, I you know anybody who want to argue against that, okay, we can have a conversation. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's worth having because I feel like this guy is a good quarterback. Yeah. It just seems like it's always something missing with this team, and I'm not sure that this is a situation where we can say this is gonna the season's going to go off the rail off the off the rails for them. I don't. I'm not saying that. But it just gives you a peek into what we can come to expect in these games that we can say, point at the schedule and say, oh, this might be a trap game for them. This might be a trap game for them. And this was definitely one of those games where say, okay, yes, they can definitely slip up in this game because, one – like they were running right at Michael Parsons. Like they were, you know. Like it's one thing to have to be, you know, you're behind and you have to throw the football, and Levin can just get off, and you got Demarcus Lawrence coming at you behind and everything like that. But to say that, hey, they're actually up, you know, and they can, they got some guys who can kind of get in front of you. They got that power running back and James Conner coming downhill at you and being physical, and and they don't, and they're giving a two way goals from an offensive play calling standpoint. That defense looks different. And then you, you got your, your number, number one cornerback out. It's just a lot of different factors that, that kind of made me look at this game and say, you know what, even though I expected the, the Cowboys, and we talked about it last week, expected the Cowboys to get this win, but I'm not surprised at all that they actually slipped up. And, I th- and I'm expecting them to bounce back because, like you said, they have a lot of talent up and down that roster. But you have to look at that up front in the offensive line. That's where it starts. If, they, if it's those guys continue to remain out and kind of mismatch, you playing mismatch and, you know, tic-tac-toe with, with your offensive line, they're going to have issues. They're going to struggle. Yeah, And, and
3: I, I look at the schedule for Dallas, too. You know, this is not the week to have guys banged up on the offensive line because you're playing the Patriots. And then you go on the road for the next two weeks and you play the 49ers and the Chargers. I yeah. understand <laughs> the Chargers defenses look brutal through the first three weeks. I get it. But that's two road games against high-powered offenses that can score a lot of points, and what San Francisco's done to you in the postseason the last two years is very well documented as far as the success that they've had against the Cowboys. Yes, and then they have the bye week, and then they're home against the Rams, and then they got to go to Philly and play the Eagles, and then the last the last five games of the season are that man Eagles, is up there. Dills, <laughs> Dolphins, Lions. So like they they got a tough stretch yeah. coming up right now, and they got to trust tough close. So I look at big picture wise for Dallas and their aspirations. A little bit less margin for error in the divisional games now because if they're going to be what they want to be at the end of the year, you got to take care of business in the East now because losing games like this, you can't have. And I think they're they're a team that, that's got to come out and make a statement in week four against New England.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, going back to something you said about the way the offense is just something that's a little bit off. You know, you're going to get what you're going to get out of, like you said, Tony Pollard. He's no Ezekiel Elliott, but you're going to get something out of him. CeeDee Lamb is who he is. But one of the questions I had was, okay, Dallas is one of those teams like so many others. I'll, of course, use uh, Kansas City with Travis Kelsey as an example, but Dallas is a team that's also known for getting a lot out of their tight ends. And I don't think they're getting anything out of their tight end room, but also I'm wondering where's Michael Gallup. So they're going to have to get like, they need him to step up as well because him getting having eight receptions, 11 targets granted, but just eight receptions, that's kind of not going to do it if they're looking week by week to get a tougher schedule and teams that like you all said, can actually score at will. But we got a couple teams here that are, I'm going to call them interesting. Although I think just one of those teams is interesting because I think one is they are who we thought they were, right? But the Carolina Panthers, that's the one I'm saying. That team is who we thought they were. Minnesota Vikings, maybe a little bit more shocking that they're 0-3, but they're both 0-3 heading into week four, and they're both looking, of course, to get in the win column for the first time this season. Panthers are currently a four-and-a-half-point underdog in this one. And so Julian Council is going to take us, he of On Panthers, and sell us on why the Panthers will cover that spread. So you guys have asked
5: me to tell you why the Carolina Panthers are going to cover the spread on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Looking over at our friends over at FanDuel, the Panthers are currently four-point home dogs against the Vikings, who are 0-3 on the season. The Carolina Panthers are also 0-3, having lost to the Falcons in Week 1, the Saints at home in Week 2, and then last Sunday without Bryce Young in Seattle in Week 3. So they're not just 0-3, by the way. They're also 0-3 against the spread. Yeah, not great. I'm told that good teams win, great teams cover, so bad teams lose. Is it putrid teams don't cover and they lose? I'm not quite sure what that would be. The Carolina Panthers, though, have not gotten off, obviously, as I've just mentioned, to a hot start. But I do think they can win this game on Sunday. Not very many reasons to believe that would be the case, other than the fact that it's the NFL. And that it's a week to week league, and that these are a bunch of one score games that the Minnesota Vikings this year have been losing. We all knew last year the Vikings winning 13 games was a complete fluke. They were not that good. They needed that massive comeback against the Jeff Saturday led Colts. And now the market correction has come. Bryce Young, he's back on Sunday. Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, the wide receivers finally got separation against a bad Seahawks defense. Well, the Vikings defense is also bad. It was bad last year, is bad this year. Brian Flores is going to try and send a lot of blitzes. And I think they're going to get burned with quick passes like they did last week with Justin Herbert and the Chargers went into the TD Bank Stadium and beat them. So I think the Carolina Panthers will cover and win. On Sunday, because the Vikings don't win one-score games this year. I mean, the Panthers have a ton of injuries. There's a lot more reasons to say why they won't cover, but I'm not here to do that. I'm here to spread positivity and joy and tell you why you should put your money on the Carolina Panthers. So you guys asked me to sell me why. Well, there you go, Carolina Panthers. Because, you know, the
0: Vikings are the Vikings. All right, Julian, almost... Almost sold me on the Panthers, but I'm gonna let you guys have that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> like, here, here's the thing: like, this is gonna be the battle for the bottom of the barrel, right? Like, let's let be honest. And, and I think it's, it's it's the perfect scenario for for the Vikings because you know Kirk Cousins is pretty much on his way out, I'm assuming. And then you know they gonna take a see if they can probably take advantage of uh, get into that sweepstakes for the, a guy like Caleb Williams if he wants to go there. You know, know. <laughs> You might, might 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 go back to college and turn down all that guaranteed money. But anyway, but yeah, I think though, but for this game, I could, there's no way I really feel like, you know, the, the Carolina Panthers are going to cover this cover the spread because at the end of the day, the Vikings can put up points. They they can't play defense, but they can throw. They can definitely put some points on the board. You got a guy like Justin Jefferson out there that they, they, they can they can go to work. Kirk can sling the ball all over the yard when it comes to the regular season and no and no pressure games. Now, this is the type of game where I feel like Kirk Cousins is probably gonna probably throw for about two, three hundred yards and, and a couple of touchdowns. And Justin might catch all of them. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that, yeah, Carolina doesn't have uh a chance and you know what in covering that four and a half point spread.
0: Yeah, I think Sorry. you make a great point. No, no, no. I think you make a great point because we 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 all love Julian, and and, and we try to be nice about that. But yeah, <laughs> you're right. The Vikings have the,
4: the truth was trying to come out. T he, and he yes. couldn't just he couldn't hold it back. Like hey. he threw it in at the last five seconds. Well, you know, hey. if you want to throw some money, in, you maybe possibly can. Not nah, great. dog. Nope. like you about to get somebody to lose their dog on mortgage, man. <laughs> hey, hey, Kyle, we have a
0: saying in uh, in Atlanta, and maybe it's a Southern saying as well. But bless his heart, because yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> what he was looking at. And one of the other things, just to to be honest with you, I don't think that, at least from what we saw in watching the Panthers take on the Falcons, I don't think we saw anything in their secondary that should make the Vikings afraid that they won't be able to score at will, just like Jarvis said. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you saw something, Kyle, or you see something or hear something that we don't. Maybe?
3: Caroline's just really banged up. Uh, and yeah. J.C. J. Horn, uh, yeah. they got Shaq Thompson with the ankle injury uh, out, but um, like both starting yes. guards are out. Bryce Young didn't play last week. He's practicing this week, so sounds like he will be back for this game like Julian mm-hmm. mentioned, but like, even safety Xavier Woods is out. And so, okay, now you got a starting safety and a, your, your best corner out against Justin Jefferson and say what you will about Minnesota, but like J.D. said, they can sling the ball around the yard. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. you look at it when Carolina has the ball and Bryce Young is a rookie quarterback. Brian Flores was my head coach for three years. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. He's going to blitz the bejesus out of that kid. (laughs) And he's going to keep doing it until you you get him out of it. And I just don't think they have the pieces to consistently get out of it. I I think they're going to have that protection, swimming, trying to guess who's coming, Flora's going to put them guys up on the line of scrimmage, all seven guys up on the line of scrimmage and say, hey, guess which five are coming? Sometimes all seven are going to come. Sometimes three of them are going to come. But we're going to make you make declarations and sort it out, and then you're going to have to throw hot with consistency. And I just don't trust the experience to do it at a particularly high level. Then you saw Philadelphia come out and say, okay, well, then that's fine. You want to put all these DBs and linebackers up on the line of scrimmage. We'll just pound the rock. And they paid Miles Sanders $6 million a season. He's averaging three and a half yards per carry right now. Like, they don't, I don't think they have the horses up front yeah. to grade in the run game. I don't trust their ability to sort out protection with an inexperienced quarterback and a bunch of guys running routes that look like me and JD running routes out there with no separation. Like, I just don't trust any of them. So I'm passing hard on Carolina to yeah. cover personally.
0: And speaking of Miles Sanders, old team, the Philadelphia Eagles, well, they'll be hosting the Washington Commanders. They'll be opening up division play this coming weekend. Eagles are an eight and a half point favorite over the Commanders. And we have Gino Camilleri to sell you why the Eagles will cover the spread in that one.
6: The Philadelphia Eagles officially open up divisional play this weekend as they take on the Washington Commanders. And I'm here to tell you why the Eagles are going to cover that FanDuel eight and a half point spread. This weekend, I'm Gino Camilleri of the Lockdown Eagles podcast to tell you that the Philadelphia Eagles are in for another defensive dominant performance. And why do I say that? They're going against Sam Howell who last week threw an alarming rate of interceptions against the Buffalo defense that is very good. The thing about the Philadelphia Eagles, their best unit that is working cohesively is their defensive front. And their secondary, they seem to continue to force turnovers no matter what quarterback they play. And Sam Howell, if they get pressure to him early and often, I'm sure the Eagles secondary will be licking their chops to try and get some interceptions on the back end. As for the offense, as good as that Washington front is, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line is the ultimate kryptonite. Last week, going against a dominant Tampa front, in Vita Veya, they eliminated arguably one of the best run defenders in the National Football League. I expect this game to be... Throw out the record books, you don't know what's going to happen, but if you boil it down to what works in the National Football League, it's what the Eagles have been doing for a year and a half now, and it's running the football and dominating on the offensive line. The Eagles should open up the pass game. It looked like they started to get things going in the second half last week against Tampa Bay, and eight and a half points, it might be close through three quarters, I would say, but when the Eagles... Get that ball late, and they have to choke down that clock. I expect them to go out there and win probably by 10 points. I'll take a guess. 31-21, the Eagles walk out. They cover the spread over at FanDuel. I'm Gino Camilleri from Lockdown Eagles. Make sure you tune in each and every day, five days a week. Fly, Eagles, fly. And Kyle, allow me to allow Jarvis to talk about one of
0: his favorite players that gives him the warm and fuzzies because he chooses violence almost every week. And I don't think that we mentioned Jalen Carter and the impact and the effect that he could potentially have on this game. So Jarvis, I'll let you be in your happy place now.
4: Yes, so let me talk about the most uh, Valuable player, according to Track In the <laughs> National Football League Mr. Jalen Carter, yes I, was, I wish he would have kept that 88 number. Oh man, why didn't he keep that? Anyway, but anyway But yeah, I think that, you know, the Eagles are Definitely, I'm with you, you know, they're going to definitely Cover this spread at 8.5 points Because uh, Sam Howell Looked like, who I thought Sam Howell Was going to look like when he came into the NFL Last week, because the Buffalo Bills were absolutely terrorizing This young man, and I think that the Eagles can do the exact same when you're talking about the defensive pressure that can come from that interior, because that's the thing that scares quarterbacks the most. That interior rush, like yeah, the edge guys, like you know, they can run that edge, run that loop all they want. You know, all the time, a lot of times, all they got a quarterback. I do is step up in the pocket, but oh my lord, when it comes up that middle, oh. Ooh. you know how I feel about this But when you get that pressure up the middle It does something to a quarterback's psyche It it speeds up their clock tremendously And you saw the Bills take advantage of that last week This dude was just throwing the ball up for grabs And they were going to go get it And I think that, you know, the Eagles For that reason, they're going to be able to take advantage of this um, Simply, I think they easily cover Uh, I can say they can even uh, have a 15-point lead By the time time this this game is over with Because the commanders, they they came back down to earth a little bit. Like I was on the, on board with them for the most part because and I, and one of the things, reason why I thought that was interesting about that game is the fact that they were able to stay in that game because of Josh Allen putting the ball in harm's way. That's the one thing that he can he can quite dodge a little bit. So I think that with given the way Sam Howell played and given how hey the Eagles being able to put pressure on their guys without sending. Pressure and then you add to that if you can send that second level pressure or even a third level pressure, those are some of the things that I feel like they're going to really throw um, the Washington Commanders off. And I feel like at the end of the day, uh, yes, the Eagles will cover.
3: I'm buying big time Eagles to cover. I mean, it, 16% of Sam Howell's dropbacks this season have ended in sacks. 16% like yeah. that's 3x like a good number at that <laughs> specific statistic. And look, that. The, the, the Buffalo Bills, it was 16-0 five minutes into the fourth quarter, right? It really snowballed late as they tried to to press. I was disappointed Washington didn't run the ball more. I thought they had some good physical runs. Wow, Robinson, Buffalo's Robinson, got some yeah. small edges. I don't know that you're going to have the same success against Philadelphia, but you do look at the second level of that defense, and you'd like to think if you can get big and physical with a big back like Brian Robinson, you, you can – have some success running the football. But if you're just going to continue to drop back and let Sam Howe read these five- and seven-step drop concepts, Jahan Dotson hasn't been getting the ball. I think he's got like 80 yards receiving through three games. It's just not firing as far as being able to read the field. The offensive line's a big concern. I was surprised how poorly Andrew Wiley played in week three. Uh, Just compressing down inside, letting free runners off the edge searching for for somebody to block inside but the Stenner's stepping the same way that he's stepping down it was a mess it was an absolute nightmare performance for Washington and I think there's too much there to write that ship in one week your hope is to run the ball and keep it close and I know Washington played him tough last year so like I I know there's familiarity there from a personnel standpoint a divisional game and you never know what's going to happen when divisional games end up happening but I definitely buy Philly to to comfortably win this game just because I think J.D. made some great points about the pressure on the inside against a shorter quarterback and Sam Howe who right now is being asked to read stuff down the field and hold the ball, and it's a bad mix.
0: Yeah. And when I look at the New England Patriots, they're a team that's probably heading into Dallas on the worst possible weekend at the worst possible time when Dallas is looking to right the wrong from last week. So, of course, they'll face the Cowboys in Big D. Pats are a six and a half point underdog there. And here's Mike Debate to sell you on why the Patriots,
7: Patriots rather, will cover the touchdown spread. Much like Bill O'Brien does with the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy and offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer like to run the football to set up their offense, and they have some effective runners to be able to do it. Tony Pollard is Dallas's lead back, and he can hurt you on the ground as well as catching the ball out of the backfield. Pollard averages 4.3 yards per carry. He's got 264 yards and a pair of touchdowns through the first three weeks of the season. But he's not the only game in town for Dallas. Rico Dowdle backs him up, and he's been effective in spot duty. And let's not forget the rookie, Deuce Vaughn, who can be shifty and disruptive on situational downs as well. The key for Dallas in establishing the run is their big offensive line, and that line has been banged up in recent weeks. Tyron Smith, Tyler Smith, Tyler Beatis, Zach Martin, and Terrence Steele are a formidable group ordinarily. But let's not forget that Beatis, Martin, and Tyron Smith all missed the Arizona Cardinals loss due to injury. Their status is going to be a key storyline to monitor throughout the week, because if Dallas' line is still feeling its injury effects, that could mean a very big day for the Patriots' defensive front. Now, the Patriots are dealing with some injury concerns of their own on the defensive line. Devon Godchow with an ankle injury and Daniel Laquale with an elbow injury left the Jets game. They did not return. Their absence had little effect on a strong afternoon-on-run defense, as the Pats effectively shut down Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. With quale now on IR, that means that pass rush weapons like Dietrich Wise Jr., Christian Barmore, and rookie Keon White really need to step up to help provide some help for Lawrence Guy and Devon Godchow if he plays in this game. The key here is Keon White, whose athleticism is going to be a major component in stopping the run and trying to keep Dak Prescott and that Dallas passing game off balance. If the Cowboys offense can't get untracked, Look for the Patriots to keep this closer than that six-and-a-half-point spread on Sunday.
0: All right, so it's going to be a very interesting game to see how the Patriots will react, or more importantly, how the Cowboys will react after what happened against Arizona last week. Now, if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, it's how to shop differently. And Jarvis will tell you a great way to do it with eBay.
4: Jarvis Davis here for eBay Motors. Guess what, guys? Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with locked on fantasy football host Vinny Iyer. Ah, yes, I got Vinny, Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're preparing for the daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed fit on your roster. So let's take a look as to who picked out who's picked for this week for eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week. All right, this week fantasy pick of the week, guys, is Barack Purdy. Yes, you heard that right. Second-year guy who has picked up where he left off as a star rookie passer down the stretch last season with his sharp play in Kyle hands, diverse, loaded passing game this season. Purdy is playing off of Christian McCaffrey's running well and delivering nicely through the red zone with his arms and legs. In week four, Purdy gets a favorable matchup, at home against Arizona's defense, Purdy should manage multiple scores with 250-plus passing yards at San Francisco's Bills, an early big lead in another blowout. Yes, I'm telling y'all, San Francisco is the guy, is the team that you need to watch. And, of course, Brock Purdy is right there for the taking. Vinny Ayer from Lockdown Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows the championship team is about each player being a perfect With fit same with your vehicle so with over 122 million parts of your number one ride or die you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly from brake kits led headlights or roof rack bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has got you covered so and with a guaranteed ebay fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at the prices you're getting out of here with some money in your pocket so who's not trying to save money right now so go to ebay motors right now because hey i got an old school Buick. that me and my brother were trying to restore I'm like i might have to hit ebay motors up y'all got some old school parts yes we definitely go check out ebay motors so keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com
0: Hey, got a little breaking news for you guys out of the NFC South. We just learned from our guy, Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. The Derek Carr returned to throwing during the open media portion of practice today, taking red zone snaps with the first Team. Now it's unclear if he'll end up playing now, but this certainly makes things a little interesting. You guys know, of course, that the Saints are going to be taking on the Buccaneers. So this is a critical NFC South matchup coming this weekend. How important would it be for the Saints if they are able to get Carr back if he's a go this Sunday?
4: I think one of the things that you have to take a look at, this is, you know, this is the difference between the guy you brought in, the pay you paid all that money to come in and and, and try to get a win versus a guy. And Jameis Winston Who can't seem to stick around As a starter in this league Or who's looked at As a backup quarterback Now in this league So I I think that If they're able to get A guy like Derek Carr back I think it's going to be Beneficial to the Saints Because we we know We know how this NFC South is Like more than likely, it's going to be a nine or 10 game, 10 game, maybe winner in this division. So this is going to be you got an early divisional matchup. And I think that, you know, if the Saints are able to get a guy like Derek Carr back, I think it's going to work out in their favor tremendously. Because, you know, that, that offense for the Saints is without Derek Carr, even though I don't feel like that the ceiling is that high. It definitely goes down once James, a guy like James, James Winston steps into the game.
0: Yeah. Casey, when you have a QBR of 54.2 and passing yards of 101, I don't care if you just played or didn't play a full game. That's still pretty abysmal for an NFL quarterback. That's not the kind of thing that's going to keep you in the conversation of possibly winning your division or maybe sneaking into the wild card. So yeah, getting car back could potentially give the saints an even more competitive edge against the Buccaneers, especially when we know that at moments the Buccaneers are kind of showing signs. Baker Mayfield is showing signs of having the ability to make that a, I'm going to use that term loosely, but make that a somewhat potent offense.
3: Yeah. And and I know I I sympathize with the situation New Orleans has been in where there's been a lot, a lot of incontinuity in the backfield with Alvin (laughs) Kamara, with his suspension and Tony Jones and Jamal Williams and, Kendra Miller is a draft pick that they brought in. Uh, it, there hasn't been a lot of consistency. This is a team that, that offensively is averaging 3.4 yards per rush through the first three games, and that includes a game against the Green Bay Packers who just gave up like 211 rushing yards to the Detroit Lions last yeah. night. So y- you got to find something to have a spark, and I agree with J.D. with what you invested in bringing Derek Carr in here with a big play player like Chris Olave that can make plays down the field. Uh, you just need more body of work together to try to build and stack some momentum. And look, you, you look at what's coming up down the pipe, they're at New England next week too. So being able to get more reps, try to establish more consistency and chemistry and continuity throughout the offense with your starting quarterback, the guy that you're going to ride with throughout the season – I think there's a big-picture benefit, and I also think there's a benefit this week, too, because obviously the the risk-reward of Jameis Winston has been well-documented as far as ball security goes. And uh, I I think it'd be a huge boost to New Orleans for their chances to try to get back in the wing column.
0: Yeah, and let's not act like Raymond James is that friendly of a stadium to Jameis Winston. So there is that too. Well, we are now hitting and heading to our number two of NFL Kickoff Live. Of course, this is the best football talk you're going to get every single Friday. We'll talk you all away way around the league. We're going to talk about every team, every game, and of course, just like we talked about moments ago, get you breaking news. And speaking of that breaking news that you're going to hear from me, Tanisha Batiste, along with Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs, we're going to talk about some news that hit today for the Los Angeles Rams, signing tight end Tyler Higby to a contract extension. Guys, that contract extension is a three-year deal worth 27.5 mil, up to 30.5 mil with incentives and $17 million guaranteed. And of course, the Rams also opened Cooper Cup's 21-day practice window to return from IR. So it looks like things are looking pretty good for that team out in L.A.
3: I like this, this extension for Higby too. I mean, he, he very quietly has over 2000 receiving yards over the last four seasons combined. And they're a team that has taken their lumps with the whole, uh, you know, what them picks movement that happened across a four or five year window and the salary caps, not real. Well, it is, there's just ways to defer the, the consequences of your actions. And that's what this year's roster looks like. But You got a guy like Higby who's been super productive. Uh, He's still got plenty of life left in the tires. He's only 30 years old for a three-year window. It's not a super long-term contract. You got to start paying some players and and lock them in and and have pieces to work with as you take this young nucleus that's here of all these first- and second-year young players and day-three draft picks and UDFAs and find out who can play and who can and have kind of pillars to work with and to have Higby be a player who's under contract with an extension As a productive player, uh, middle-class contract at the position, I really like it for the Rams. And after they get through this year, this is like the take-your-lumps year for the decisions over the last five years. You got a Lombardi trophy out of it, great. But now once you move on and you flip the calendar to 2024, you're going to have some cash to spend, you're going to have investment opportunities, and you can really start to build this thing back up. And having a few guys that have been there, done that, is a great way to do it. I think Higby's a nice piece for them.
0: Now, Jarvis, we don't know if the Rams are going to see Higby on Sunday. He's officially listed as questionable with an Achilles injury for Sunday's game against the Colts. But certainly if the Rams are able to have him go, he's a guy that with 11 receptions on the season, 132 yards, he's averaging 12.1 yards per reception. That's a pretty powerful addition if he can go. And, you know, just as Kyle mentioned, yeah, he may be 30, but he's still operating like he's in his prime.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, this is good for the Rams. Like, you want to have some this, some stability, you know, for this team. Like like Kyle mentioned, like, when you, you think about how they've run, like, it's those blank, those picks, you know, when you had those, when that's been the moniker that they've been running out here for the past few years, it, it, it definitely says something about how they're trying to move forward, right, because – you only can do that for so long like you can't say forget the salary cap forget draft picks and all that stuff you can't do that for, for a certain amount of time they did it for they did it to get a Super Bowl it worked out now it's time to start building some stability now that's when you start locking down some players or guys that have been that have been productive for you a guy like Tyler Higbee and then Cooper Cup like like T mentioned like they're opening up the practice window for him. You can get a guy like that, you know, back into the fold. Those are some of the things that, you know, say, "Hey, we're starting to build something yeah. and maybe this is can be enough for Aaron Donald to stick around for a couple more years because we know how close he's been to retirement." So, yeah. that dude is an automatic first-round Hall of Famer. Like that as soon as he soon as he, the day he retires, the clock is starting for him to put on his gold jacket. So, if you can get convinced guys that you're trying to build something, you're trying to win another Super Bowl that, that's, that's sustainable that you're trying to be a, a contender for more than just one or two years I, I feel like this; these are some of the things that you can do by signing your young guys by, with Higby and getting some of your guys like a guy like Cooper Cup, get him back into the fold to combine with the Puka Nikuls of the world and Tutu Atwells all that stuff like you're starting to really build something and you're going to make guys who may be on the verge of retirement like Aaron Donald stick around
0: Yeah, and it may not seem like a big deal or a big matchup for this weekend, but certainly if you can have Tyler Higby go and as you get Cooper cup closer, but more importantly, if you can have Tyler Higby go, it's going to be a big matchup for the Colts as they continue to try to build on some early successes this season. But there are a lot of key matchups starting a lot of division play this weekend. So let's go around the country as teams gear up for some of those games. We'll get updates from an impressive 49ers start to the season. And then some teams who maybe need to prove that they really want to be in it. Let's go. Game to game.
1: The San Francisco 49ers trying to win their fourth straight to start the 2023 season versus the upstart Arizona Cardinals. Hey everybody. I'm Brian Peacock from Lockdown on 49ers and three and zero right now, the Niners heading into week four, three zero seems to be the lucky number this year for the Niners. They've scored exactly 30 points in their first three weeks. Can they do it again against the Arizona Cardinals that might be a little bit better than we all expected, beating the Dallas Cowboys in week three and really been competitive in all three games and could be pretty close to a 3-0 team themselves coming into uh, this week four matchup, as Kyle Shanahan pointed out earlier on in the week. The 49ers clearly, though, a more talented team, uh, a young quarterback that's proven to be up to the task and just talent everywhere. The five eligible receivers and, and runners on the offensive side of the ball and the marquee matchup here the 49ers' strength on the defensive line versus the biggest strength of the Arizona Cardinals on their offensive line. Can the 49ers impose their will?
8: Hi, I'm Tony Wiggins with Locked On Jaguars. The Jaguars are headed to Europe to play against the Atlanta Falcons. They're wanting to, and they're limping. The Jaguars are simply trying to figure out how to get back on track, how to get to the point where they thought they were when everyone uh, considered them a Super Bowl contender. They're just not playing like it right now. The trenches aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They lead the league in drops by wide receivers. Trevor Lawrence has looked a little bit off and it looks like he's running for his life just a little bit. I'm telling you, man, it's just not a good time right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they're all looking around at each other and they're perplexed and trying to figure it all out. Hopefully, A win against Atlanta with a quarterback that's still trying to find his way will get them back on the right track. Make sure you check me out every single day on Locked On Jaguars, where it's your team every day. And we always thank you for making us your first listen.
9: It's only week four of the 2023 NFL regular season. But for the New York Giants, this is a big week. New York is one and two, and save for the final two quarters of their come from behind win against the Arizona Cardinals in week two, they have struggled to play the kind of football they need to in order to stay competitive in games, particularly in the first half, where they've been outscored 63 to 6. On Monday night, they'll welcome in the Seattle Seahawks, a team that's on a two-game winning streak that has outscored its last two opponents 74 to 58. The Giants, for what it's worth, will have had 11 days to fix those glaring deficiencies on both sides of the ball. And there's a lot they have to fix. But here's the biggest thing to watch for for the Giants come Monday night. If they come out flat, uninspired, and sloppy looking, as they have at times throughout the season so far, well, that's a problem that goes beyond the X's and O's and is one that, should Monday's game result in a loss, could very well be the beginning of the end for the Giants' hope of making their first back-to-back appearance in the postseason since 2007 and 2008.
10: Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. Want to give you a quick Week 4 preview. Raiders, Chargers, SoFi Stadium, both teams coming in 1 and 2 on the season. Of course, this is an old-school AFC West battle coming up in Week 4. Excited about it, but for the key for the silver and black, they've got to get the offense going. Uh, That was one of the strengths of the team or supposed to be the strength of the team heading into the 2023 year. Jimmy Garoppolo is very familiar with head coach Josh McDaniel. So the offense is supposed to click better than it did a year ago with quarterback Derek Carr. Of course, Devontae Adams is there. Jacoby Myers is there. Hunter Renfro is there. The reigning rushing champion and Josh Jacobs is there as well. But unfortunately for the Raiders the offense hasn't been there. There's just has not been any kind of consistency when it comes to the passing game and the rushing game has not started. So they've got to get Josh Jacobs running downhill. They've got to get him going, showing why he was the rushing champion from a year ago. Without having a balanced attack and having that rushing game, it's going to be very, very difficult for the Raiders to win this one against the Chargers who are putting up a lot of points. So the Raiders have got to find a way to find their offensive identity, get Devontae, Jacoby, Hunter Renfro all involved, but it's all going to start with the run game and Josh Jacobs. If that doesn't come along. It's going to be a long day at the office for the Silver and Black at SoFi Stadium coming up on Sunday. For all things Silver and Black, all things Raiders, make sure you check out the Locked On Raiders podcast with me, your boy Q.
0: Guys, I'm going to start with the Giant seahawks for... The case, make the case for our poor producers, bless their hearts. It's been a rough start to <laughs> the NFL season for them. And, you know, one of the the points that Patricia made was whether or not an 11 day window of time is enough time to restart and reset this Giants teams, this Giants team. Do you guys believe that for the window of time that there's been an opportunity to reset them, that they're actually going to be able to do something that gets them in the win column against the Seahawks? I just there have a hard time is. seeing him. That, ahead, that That dead silence, that pregnant pause, told it all, guys. But
4: like, it's it's so hard. Like when you when you think about like who they're going up against. Like there is, I think it's you can. There says something. There's something to say about you know the Seahawks. Like I, I know that that when they when they're in the space where. They look like they're down or they have a down week. They always tend to kind of jump back, and I think that they kind of get back to their roots about being able to run the football. And And we know the Giants, they kind of struggle against that. Like They struggle against that. And then with all the injuries that you deal on the other side of the, of the football, when you're saying, like, okay, can you get healthy enough? Is Saquon Barkley going to be ready to make that jump and do what he needs to do or what we – what he said that running backs deserve to be paid to do. Like, I want to see that. I want to see him, you know, be able to do that, but I don't think he's going to be capable of doing that, you know, in this matchup. So I, I really feel like the giants are in a space where they, they're in really bad space right now because Daniel Jones is, he got his, got his money and he's been up and down. Like there's just no consistency with this team. So, I really feel like the Seattle Seahawks are the team that I trust a little bit more. Even though they have Geno, a guy like Geno Smith at quarterback, we saw last year, he was making a, a, a decent case to, to, to be, you know, at least in the conversations for, you know, either comeback player of the year or, or, or MVP-type candidate. The dude was just playing lights out last year. So I think that with the Seattle, what they'll be able to do to be able to run a football, and G- as long as Geno Smith is can take care of the football and keep the ball out of harm's way, I don't think the Giants have a chance in this one.
3: So we we got to start forcing some turnovers defensively. The Giants yeah. do not have a single turnover through the first three weeks of the season. They are getting pounded in the run game on a weekly basis. 122 yards against Dallas, 151 yards against Arizona, 141 yards against San Francisco. So you're getting run on. You can't turn the ball over. It's a really, really bad mix. You have less than 175 yards of offense in two your three games so far this season. It's bad, and Darren Waller was supposed to be the fix-all for the skill group. It hasn't materialized. Saquon Barkley's missed a game, obviously, dealing with the ankle injury, and I get Andrew Thomas didn't play in their last game, too, so that's a bad mix, especially when you're going against San Francisco. They had some personnel issues that I didn't think they even touched this offseason. And I don't know if that's because they made the playoffs because they went 9-7-1 and and then won a playoff game against Minnesota and we thought we were something that we weren't, so we tried to just build on what we had. But um, if you're going to turn it around, you have to start playing dramatically better defense, which is supposed to be the strength of this team. You look at the roster that they have, it's the defensive interior and it's Wink Martindale and that super aggressive system that they have. And it just has not been there. Now, I think you can look at personnel on the defensive side of the ball and say, okay, like we can maybe get the light bulb to turn on. But I don't see the reinforcements coming offensively that are going to help this team. And Seattle has always been a team that has wanted to just come out and punch you in the face and pound the rock. And they're missing their offensive tackle and Abe Lucas, who's on IR. So you know they're not going to drop back a ton. They're going to want to play forward. And I think that's even more bad news for New York. Yeah. And you look
0: at a team kind of switching gears to the AFC West, another intriguing matchup, Raiders versus Chargers. And it kind of, for me, it's the Raiders are the intriguing part of that matchup, mostly because I'm thinking about, and you guys just talked about it, Saquon Barkley being a guy who – was on the end of that holdout now it's injuries and it's just been kind of like an up and down iffy Feels like the same thing for Josh Jacobs, right? Like, just can't get right, can't get going. Ever since the holdout, you're talking 45 carries, 108 yards, 2.4 yards, averaging a carry. But also, of course, the news that just dropped about Chandler Jones and the fact that he's away from the team because he's been arrested. And Jimmy Garoppolo is questionable because he's still in concussion protocol. So the Raiders are an intriguing—that's an intriguing situation. And, of course, the Chargers being— To me, they're intriguing because you just never know which Chargers team is going to show up. And you never know if the good Chargers show up, how long they're actually going to show up. So, yeah, that's another one of those. Not only is it interesting or intriguing because it's a divisional matchup, but this might have big implications because both of these teams on different levels and for different reasons are trying to figure it out.
4: Yeah, and I think the Chargers... This is this is another one of those games that, like, hey, it's a divisional game, and if you want to be taken seriously, if yeah. you want ownership to say, hey, I want to keep my job at the end of the year, you need to win these type of games because, like you said, like if you're matching talent for talent – on the offensive side of the football, uh, uh, the Raiders versus the Chargers. Like we know who who who's gonna get that check mark. Like, I'm checking the the Chargers each and every time, but like I said, we don't know when we're gonna get it. Like I don't know when to expect it. Is Justin Herbert gonna have a a, a off game? You know, so it's it's just so many factors, and then when you factor in the fact of Mike Williams being out, you know, now and those receiver every receiver group always dealing with injuries seem like, you know, Keenan Allen. Thankfully, he's healthy. He's having a a lights out type of year so far. So all of those those factors coming into play like the Chargers should win this game because I'll take Justin Herbert versus Jimmy Garoppolo. 10 times out of 12. I man, 10 times out of 10. You know what I mean? So, man, my math is off. Of there. I don't know what's going on with y'all, man. 12 out of 10. 12 out of 10. I'll there we go. 12 yes. 12 that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Cal, man. That's <laughs> what right. Casey said. What I like you. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. So, yeah, I take him 12, out, 12 times out of 10. So, those are some of the things where when you're looking at this team and, and, and kind of matching up these guys from a skill standpoint, like the Chargers should win this game. They should be able to outscore the. Score the Chargers because the Raiders just look discombobulated on offense. And when you can have a guy like Josh McDaniels as your head coach, like that's a problem. That is a big problem. Yeah. And you're right. The Chargers can absolutely score 34
0: points week one. Of course, it was a loss, but still 34 points nonetheless in week one, 24 in week two. And of course, in week three, they were finally able to crack the code, scoring 28 points and getting a win. For more of NFL Kickoff Live, check out your favorite Locked On NFL YouTube page and get the second hour where we go over our best bets of the week.